Amen. Most of you guys know there's this classic illustration of different perspectives. And it's six people that are blind trying to describe what an elephant is. And so the first blind guy is touching the side of an elephant and he said, an elephant is like a wall. And the second blind guy is holding the trunk and he goes, an elephant is not like a wall. An elephant is like a snake. What is wrong with you? Are you blind or something? <laughs> and the third guy is back at the tail and he's like, an elephant's not like a snake or a wall. An elephant's like a rope. And it's really humid back here, by the way. And the fourth guy has got a hold of the leg of an elephant and says, no, an elephant's like a tree. And the fifth guy has an ear. No, an elephant is like a fan. And the sixth guy is touching a tusk and he says, no, an elephant is like a spear. It's different perspectives, right? And you look at a uh, number on the ground and from one angle, it's a six, but from the other angle, it's a nine, right? It's perspectives. Well, the Bible has two perspectives. And using Bible language, it's heaven and earth, or the natural and the spiritual. Those are the two perspectives. And they overlap all the time, the heavens and the earth. They have this overlap. They bump into each other. They affect each other. And most of us know the earthly perspective of Christmas. We have nativity scenes, and we have wise men, and we have gifts, and we have the manger. And most of us are familiar with that. Today, I want us to look at the heavenly perspective of Christmas Day. And it's very different. And if you've never heard it before, prepare to be blessed. It's Revelation chapter 12. And this is the heaven looking down at Christmas. And it might be a little different than you're used to. So Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and on his head's seven diadems, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is nourished for 1,250 days. Merry Christmas. <laughs> what, Matt? That's not the Christmas story. Did you drink some eggnog last night? It is. This is the heavenly perspective. I'm going to try to prove it. And I'm one of these Christmases. We're going to decorate according to Revelation chapter 12. 
No camels or dragon, <laughs> a woman in labor. <laughs> like, we're going to do that, trust me, one day. Right? So, just three simple questions. First, who's the woman? You can read about this, and some say it's the church, and some say it's the saints, and some say it's Mary, and some say it's Rome after the edict of toleration by Constantine. But here's the key to understanding the book of Revelation. It's the last book in the Bible. And so the expectation of the author, John, is that you and I have actually read the previous 65 books. And if you don't know the book of Revelation, it has over 400 quotations or uh, alluded passages to the Old Testament. And it's almost one perverse. It is absolutely a handbook that's taking all these tangled lines from Genesis and Exodus and the prophets and the Psalms and the gospels and the epistles, and it's weaving them into this beautiful, amazing tapestry. But you got to know the Old Testament. It's like this. Any Star Wars fans in here? So when I grew up, I was not allowed to watch Star Wars because the force was new age. And so part of my rebellion in my teen years was I went and watched Return of the Jedi. I'm like, I'll show you, right? So I watch it, I could not understand it. So I talked to people that were like Star Wars fans and like, well, Matt, here's the deal. It's the third, it's actually the sixth movie, but it's only the third one made because there's three private movies that have not been made yet. So you're in the sixth movie, but it's actually the third. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I had no idea of Star Wars. That's like revelation. If you don't know the story, if you don't know what God has been doing in the previous 65 books, revelation is like that. You're like, what is happening here? You get confused. So who's the woman? If this is tying together the loose ends of scripture, we should find a woman with the stars at her feet and the moon, right? Guess what you find? Genesis 37, I have it for you up. It's, if you know his story, Joseph. Joseph gives a dream that he had, and he does it like this. Can you guys, this is a little different than normal. I'll try to stay out of the way. Genesis 37, nine. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Who's Joseph's dad? Guy by the name of Israel. Israel has, Jacob, Israel has 12 sons who become the tribes of Israel. And the dad, Israel, knows immediately what he's talking about. He's saying, we're the sun and the moon, we're the stars, if you would. Why are there only 11? Because the dreamer is the 12th star. He is the 12th one. So when John the Revelator says, there's a woman clothed with the sun and the moon, and there's 12 stars, he's making an allusion to Genesis 37 for the Bible reader to know, oh, he's talking about the nation of Israel, 
That's who he's talking about. No doubt about it, that God has this plan. And you see that plan unfolding. Every time there's a mistake, God intervenes, right? Adam and Eve sin immediately, Genesis 3.15. I've got a plan. Out of the seed of the woman, who are we talking about in our story? A woman. Out of the seed of the woman will come one who will crush the serpent's head. And then power of Babel, giant mistake on mankind's pro- mankind, no doubt. The following chapter, chapter 12, God sh- says to Abraham, from you, all the nations of earth will be blessed, right? So it's narrowing it down. First, it's half the population is coming from a woman. Then it's from Abraham it's gonna come. And then it gets even narrower in 2 Samuel chapter seven, where God says, David, he's gonna come through your line. The Davidic kingly line. Right? This is no doubt the nation of Israel bringing forth the promised Messiah. But she's in great pain. Yeah, because there's this dragon. The heavenly sea is it. There's a dragon that wants to take her out. And what you see in the Bible is there's always this opposition to God's plan, right? The moment Eve has kids, what do one of the brothers do to the other brother? Kills him. When the nation of Israel starts to flourish down in Egypt, what does the Pharaoh do? Starts killing the babies. When they start flourishing in Babylon, what happens? Haman tries a genocide. When Mary finally gives birth to Jesus, what does Herod do? Goes and kills all the babies in Bethlehem, right? What did Hitler try to do with the Nazis? Exterminate Israel, God's chosen people. That every time there's a movement forward, there's a spiritual opposition to that movement. Why do you think there's so much anti-Semitism today? Like it's the most nutty thing in the world, and yet there's anti-Semitism everywhere. Have you ever read the Protocols of Zion? It sounds like it was written by a third grader who was infatuated with zombies, and yet that little document has been used now for years and years to hurt and harm God's people, because that's what the dragon does. He's always doing that, always in opposition to God's plan, trying to cause pain to this woman to Israel. Here's your application. If you decide that you're going to step into the game, be part of God's plan, if you decide to do that, guess what is going to happen to you? If you get off the bench and you get the ball, guess what the dragon's going to try to do to you? Tackle you. If you decide in 2023, I'm not just gonna cruise control with my family. We're gonna have mission. If you decide I'm gonna start using my position to witness to people about who Jesus is, guess what's gonna happen to you? If you decide, hey, listen, from now on, I'm gonna use my resources and my money to further the kingdom, guess what's gonna happen to you? There's gonna be opposition from the dragon. You can't expect it, okay? So I remember this saying, and I wrote it down, I think more than anything because of the circumstances. Charity and I, my wife, we went to Haiti with a group of high schoolers about 10 years ago. And we had just a great trip. The end of the trip, though, was the most incredible moment. We went to this, it's not an orphanage. It's called the Sisters of Charity, very appropriate name. And what it is, it's the last stop for really sick babies. 
So the hospitals, the doctors, they've given up on these babies and the babies go to this, it's in Port-au-Prince and there are, it's this massive complex and you walk through room after room after room and you come into a room and it's a sea of cribs, all with babies in it. And our, your job is real simple there. You pick up a baby and you simply hold that baby. That's all you do. It's one of the most pure things I've ever done. So I'm going in there, you're walking in there. It's a little overwhelming at first. So I walk in, I go in this room, there's a bunch of these cribs and this baby's kind of, so I kind of pick this baby up, I lift the baby up and it's just soaking wet. It wet itself. So I turn around and there's a high schooler behind me. It's Emma Isabel, she's married now, different name, but then it was Emma Isabel. So I turn around, I just handed the baby to her. Here you go, you can have that one. <laughs> Not that I'm afraid of diapers. I've had five kids. We had a simple saying at our house when it came to diapers finders, keepers. So, but I just didn't want to change it. So, and so I, I, I leave that. I go into the next room. It's just me. There's this nun in there. She looks at me. It's 30 cribs. There's one baby crying. The nurse looks at me, just points at the crib. I'm like, aye, aye. Go over. Pick up that baby. It's not just wet. Blowout. Like dripping blowout. And I thought for a moment that God said to me, yeah, I'm going to get you. Jonah, you can run, but I will get you. I'm like, okay. So I clean up this baby, I get it changed, and then I'm just holding the baby and I'm walking down this hallway and I'm walking down and the baby's calmed down finally, kind of nestled into you know, like, like they can, and tiny, tiny baby, heartbreaking. You can feel the ribs, just heartbreaking, this situation. Just holding this baby. And I go by this picture of Mother Teresa, who is the, she's the one that formed the Sisters of Charity. And below that was a quote by Mother Teresa, and it said this, God, I know you won't give me too much to bear. I just wish you didn't trust me so much. Mother Teresa. <laughs> Listen, man, you step into the game. You start helping babies. You start helping those that the dragon wants to devour. Guess what's gonna happen to you? He's gonna come after you. So who's the dragon? Right, he's red, red means rage. He's a, a raging dragon. In the Bible, there are two pictures of what Satan is like. One's a serpent in Genesis chapter three, and the other is a roaring lion in 1 Peter chapter five. If you were to marry a lion and a snake, a chimera, what would you produce? A snake, lion, or a dragon. It's the perfect marriage. Who's the dragon? It's Satan. He's got seven heads. That doesn't mean literally he's got seven heads. It just means seven is this number of perfection. It means he's really smart. And it says that somehow he had taken a third of the stars. Who are the stars? Some say it's the saints. It's the elect that he'll deceive the elect. But we're told down in verse seven that he has a crew with him. The dragon has angels. Who are the third? Most people believe that when Satan was cast down to earth from heaven, he was smart enough to get a third of the angels to revolt against God and join him on earth. How crazy is that? You gotta be charismatic and smart to do that. He's got crowns, he's got power and he uses it. Like, why is there so much anti-Semitism? Because the dragon has power and he uses it. 
Why does that conversation with your spouse that you thought, hey, this is going to be a simple conversation, erupt into anger and you're both mad at each other? Because there's a dragon in the heavenlies, right? What is that? Hey, I'm reaching out to this guy that we're, we're kind of, our relationship is tense and I want to make it better. And so I'm going to do everything I can to make it better. And you try to make it better and it just gets worse. Why does that happen? Because there's a dragon. It's what the Bible says. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, earthly, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a dragon that's constantly going around trying to make things complicated. Why does Christmas, this wonderful day, sometimes get complicated and awkward and weird and have all kinds of problems with it? Because there's a dragon. Because there's a dragon who wants to devour. I say this all the time. We believe earth is a playground. When the Bible from Genesis 3 to Revelation 30 screams at you and me, no, this is a battleground. Ephesians 6, put your armor on, defensively. And Ephesians 6 says we only have two weapons. You know that? Prayer and the word. When Jesus is attacked three times by Satan, what does he say every time? It is written. When the disciples in Mark chapter 9 try to cast this demon out of this boy and they can't do it, and they say, Jesus comes and does it, and they say, why couldn't we do it? What does Jesus say? Because this one, this kind, doesn't come out but by prayer. There's your weapons, prayer, and the word. Who's the dragon? He's Satan, sent to steal and to kill and to destroy exactly what he's trying to do to this woman. So lastly, who's the man-child? The man-child that is to rule nations. We know who it is, Isaiah, the prophet. Isaiah chapter nine. Maybe. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful counselor. Is Jesus God? Isaiah names him mighty God. Everlasting. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Six, seven hundred years before his birth. Prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Happy day that will be when Jesus is king and peace is his rule. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness, Sadaqah and Mizpah, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's a promise, it's coming. Happy day that will be. Who is, who's the man child? It's Jesus. And it just says one thing about Jesus. Her child was caught up to God and to his throne. No death, no burial, no resurrection. The only thing John talks about is the ascension of Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because he's assuming you've read the book. He's assuming you know he's the lamb that was slain. He's assuming that you know that he was the one that was dead but is now alive. He's assuming that you know these things, he's assuming that we're smart. 
and I hope he's right. You know these things already. And John has one point here he's trying to make. Remember, remember, Jesus Christ right now is at the throne of the universe. That's what he's trying to say. Jesus Christ is at the throne. He is gonna talk to people that are gonna go through the worst persecution in church history. The catacombs in Rome are full of the bones of Christians who died at the hands of Rome. Fed to lions, heads chopped off. Paul gets his head chopped off. John is writing to a group of people that the dragon is gonna come after like never before. What does he want them to know when they're being persecuted? You serve the king of the world. You serve the king of the world. That's what he wants them to know. Sometimes I think at Christmas, we forget that. We remember the baby. We become Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights. You guys know that? Let me read for you his prayer. It's really, really good, isn't it? So if you don't remember the scene, here's how it go. He's praying for a meal. He says this. Dear tiny baby Jesus, in your tiny baby crib, with your tiny little hands and feet, watching your tiny little Einstein baby developmental videos, use your tiny little superpowers to keep me winning on the racetrack. Amen. His wife, who is marginally sharper than Ricky Bobby, <laughs> said to him, you know, I don't think you're supposed to pray to the Little baby Jesus, because he grew up and became a man. And I think you're supposed to pray to grown-up Jesus. Ricky Bobby replies, quote, I don't want to pray to that Jesus. I like praying to the little baby Jesus because it makes me feel good just to think about him there being a little tiny infant. So when you're praying, you can pray to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whomever you want. But I like Christmas Jesus. I like a cuddly, cute baby Jesus, and I'm going to pray to him. John says, error. Jesus has ascended to the throne. He is king of the universe. It's what C.S. Lewis would write about when he uses Aslan as a type of Jesus. And Lucy learns that Aslan's a lion. And she says to the beaver, is he safe? And the beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. And he's the king, I tell you. That's what John would want. Jesus safe? No way. Read Revelation 19 when he returns with a sword coming out of his mouth, treading on the enemies of the faith. Safe? No way. He is the king and he is good, I tell you. John wants you and me to remember Jesus is ascended up on high, and here's why this matters. So verse six says, the woman fled to the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,250 days. Continuing on, just skipping down for time, verse 13. And when the dragon saw that, saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child 
And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and a times and a half time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Who's he after now? Believers in Jesus Christ. The dragon knows his time is short. So he tries to destroy the woman and water comes out of his mouth. Was it literally water? Probably not. What does the dragon try to flood us with to take us out? John the Revelator would say in 1 John chapter eight that he is the father of all lies. What does the enemy do to you and me? He tries to take us out with lies. You're no good, you'll never change. You'll always be this way. No one loves you. You're abandoned. You're ugly, right? You don't deserve to be loved. You're a terrible Christian. What does he do? He floods you and me with lies because that's how he devours us. That's how he takes us out. It's the same way, right? That's what he does to believers today. And so this woman is saved by the wings of an eagle. What are the wings of an eagle? Some people wanna say it's the United States Air Force because wings are on the planes of, right? Yeah, you laugh and you should. <laughs> Once again, the author of Revelation is assuming we've read the book. And in Exodus 19 and Deuteronomy 32, twice God says this, I swept you up and saved you and I bore you on wings of an eagle. Would you rather have God or the government come save you? I'm gonna take God anytime, in God I trust. And you know what's amazing? There's this DVD, if you ever get the chance, it's called Against All Odds. It's about the Yom Kippur War in Israel. It's unbelievable. West Point does not study the wars in Israel because they say they don't make any sense. So there's this time in the Yom Kippur War where it's, Israel should have been wiped off the map. This small group of tanks were trying to make it across this, Israeli tanks, make it across this plane that had been mined and they didn't know how to make it across. All of a sudden, a wind came up. It blew so strong, it took away four inches of topsoil and it showed the top of all the mines and they were able to get across. Right, how does that happen? God, I'll bear you on wings like an eagle. Amazing. And so this woman, she's out in the desert, twice it says it. The desert in the Bible is a place of barrenness, dryness. It's a place that without help, you will die. That's what the desert is, the wilderness is in scripture. Someone has to help you. Jesus was in the desert. Moses was in the desert. Elijah was in the desert. The children of Israel was in the desert. And God said to the children of Israel, the reason why I have you in the desert right now is for this purpose, that I might know your heart and that you might know mine. Desert times are hard. They're difficult. But desert time, it's also hard to get in trouble. It's hard to go clubbing in the desert, isn't it? 
There's just not, it's not available for you. They're hard, but there's something good about them. Let me read for you Hosea chapter two. This is what God says to Gomer, the prostitute. And it's quite shocking when you think about it because you would expect, hey, God's gonna get her, right? God's gonna cut her down. Listen to this about the wilderness that God has for Gomer, the prostitute. It's verse 14, Hosea chapter two. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness. Now, I would think the reason why is to chastise her, to punish her, to discipline her. Listen to what it says. I'll bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards. Where? In the barren wastelands of desert. I'm gonna make them bloom with vineyards. Make the valley of Achor or the valley of pain a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as in the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. It's gonna be like the first time you met Jesus. And in that day declares Yahweh, you will not call me, you will call me my husband and no longer will you call me my master. I love that passage. God said, sometimes I'm gonna bring you into a desert. It's hard, it's dry, it's difficult, but my purpose during that dry, barren desert is to transform the way that you see me. Not as your master that's trying to oppress you and keep you under his thumb. No, it's your husband. I want what was painful to you before to become hopeful for you. What was barren to become a vineyard. And that only happens in the desert. It requires the desert. And some of us might be in a desert here. It can happen for all kinds of ways. A relationship that was super important is now taken away from you. Something you relied on and it was there for you, now it's gone. And it's hard. Maybe it's money, financial trouble. You know, money talks. Do you know what it says? Goodbye. That's what it says. And sometimes money can be, it can be a hard thing. It can be loss of health. There's all these ways that you and I are brought into the desert. And my heart breaks for people in that, but I'm also hopeful because of Hosea chapter two, that there can be a transformation in your relationship to Jesus, that the things that were dry and barren and unfruitful are transformed into the opposite, that what caused you pain now becomes a place of hope. That's what deserts do, right? It's when we know he's not baby Jesus at Christmas, he's the risen enthroned king of the universe that the entire world obeys his command. That's what we need to know, okay? So I got one simple thing I want to try to give you today. And maybe you're in a desert. Maybe you're saying, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like this woman chased by the dragon into the desert and I need nourishment. Every study says that people that go through hard times, the ones that come out of it strong, they're the ones, they're the ones that have support. People, love, family, hope, 
fruitfulness in the midst of it. And that's what I, what I wanna pray for you for. So if you're here this morning, you're saying, that's me. I'm gonna ask you to do something difficult because sometimes that's what it takes. Sometimes it takes a step up to say, that's me. I wanna pray for you. If you feel like you're in a desert and you need prayer today, I want you to slip your hand up and I want you to hold your hand up for just a moment because I want us to lay hands on you as well. So if that's you, slip your hand up. And if you see somebody with their hand up, please just look around, do a 360. If there's someone around you with their hand up, just get up and lay your hand on them. Give them a Christmas gift for them to know they are supported and that they are loved. Jesus, you are master of the wilderness. You are the one Isaiah says can turn the desert into a vineyard, making streams in the desert. That you can take what the dragon wants to use for evil and you can turn it for good. And so I pray for every person that's raised their hand in here that feels like this is a dry desert time. I pray first and foremost that your spirit of comfort would right now fall upon them and fill them and give them the gift of a peace that passes all understanding because you are the Prince of Peace and your rule is right here in this place today. I pray that because of this time, they would find their heart full of hope. They would find their heart full of anticipation of you doing exceedingly abundantly above all they could ask or think for your glory and their joy. I pray that the body of Christ would become the support, become the one that walks with them through that valley, through that dry time, that they would be so fastened to the body that something new happens in relationships in 2023. And I pray in your perfect timing that the desert would end. So nourish these people, I ask. And I pray this in the matchless, powerful name above all names, Jesus. Amen. Amen.